Hi, I'm Lisa of Two Sober Chicks, and this is going to be a shot glass of recovery because Julie is not with me today. Normally, we do this podcast, Two Sober Chicks, together, um, so I might have tricked you a little bit with the music bed intro, but I have something else I'd like to read, and Julie and I aren't together again for another week together again, virtually, that is, in this new world where she lives in the United States and I live in Canada. It's pretty cool, though, that we can still connect and bring you two sober chicks, since it is a a passion and a love and uh, something that moves us spiritually and emotionally to continue to bring the message. And in doing so, what that does for us uh, is keep us centered in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and its primary purpose, which is to carry this message. And that's what we want to do. Um, It is a a podcast about recovery. It's a podcast about spirituality. Um, But for me, it's also about deepening my understanding about the history uh, and the understanding for me about emotional sobriety and everything that encompasses Alcoholics Anonymous, which at first was just about how do I cope with my drinking to so much more, you know. I have learned by being around this program that um, putting down the drink was just a beginning. It was just a step towards solving the problem. Because underlying that problem of the way I used to drink to excess, to oblivion, um, is me. The real problem underneath all of that is me. I came across this article and uh, I wanted to share it with you. You know, one of the things I don't think we do enough anymore is share the message of the grapevine. The grapevine included a lot of amazing writings by our founder, Bill Wilson, uh, Bill W. And um, now that he's gone, maybe we're missing that um, great editorial flair um, from Bill. But there are a lot of great uh, archives that you can look up and find, which carry the old copies of the grapevine, where a lot of Bill's writings were found. And this one is extracted uh, from one of the grapevine articles, and it was called Surrender and Emotional Sobriety, 12 Essential Insights for Emotional Sobriety by Dr. Alan Berger. Extracted from various chapters of 12 Essential Insights for Emotional Sobriety, these extracts were based upon the book quotations and supporting materials when searching on surrender. What is the relationship between surrender and emotional sobriety? Bill W., our founder, struggled with depression for most of his life. He took on his depression in recovery. For the first two decades, to get that people, 20 years, of Bill's recovery, he turned himself inside out while he learned what caused and what helped his depression. He shared what he had learned in a letter published in the 1958 AA grapevine titled The Next Frontier, Emotional Sobriety. So I'm going to pause there for a second. You know, um, I remember being new and I remember wanting this thing and wanting what other people had and looking at them um, like they had two heads because I didn't understand them. How could they go from being me and feeling what I felt and thinking the way I thought to then be at peace? I did not understand that. But what I did understand was that I wanted what they had. And I love that line in the beginning of this article where it says he turned himself inside and out. And it talks about decades of looking at this. So in other words, time takes time. 
If you are new and you are hearing this, I want you to remember that it doesn't happen overnight. Do not give up before the miracle happens. You know, people who have gone before you, like our founder, have also struggled with their own emotional sobriety. Um, I call it thoughts and feelings. You know, that was an expression that my sponsor used with me. And you'll hear me say it a lot because it rings true for me. The real problem of my disease lies in my mind and in my thinking. And as Luke, my sponsor, would say, Lisa, your thoughts and feelings are what's wrong with you. So we're just going to take those. We're going to put them over here for a while. You're not even going to think about them. You know how hard that was for me? (laughs) But, and I would say that to him, you know how hard that is for me? And he would say, well, is it working for you the way you're doing things right now? And be like, uh, no, I'm in complete and utter uh, pain and suffering, uh, demoralization, all those things were going on. He's like, right. So just shut up and listen and try to follow some suggestions. So that's what I did. Anyway, I digress. Back to the letter. In the letter, Bill W. defined emotional sobriety as, quote, real maturity and balance, which is to say, humility. In our relations with ourselves, with our fellows, with life, and with God, end quote. Notice that Bill leads off with the word maturity. Maturity occurs when we transcend our childish urge to gain environmental support. So let me stop that right there. That is a great line. Maturity occurs when we transcend our childish urge to gain environmental support. So it doesn't matter how old you are when you come into this program. If you started drinking at 13 years of age and you come into this program when you're 50, you are not as mature as the person who has been doing this work and um, and has been in the program longer than you have. So you're, you could come in at 50 and have a sponsor who's 30 years old Uh, who's doing the work, right? Because their emotional sobriety has matured because they've been doing the work longer than you. I think that's an excellent point to uh, highlight. Um, I'll go back to the article again. Maturity occurs when we transcend our childish urge to gain environmental supports. And then in brackets, it says support by making external conditions conform to our needs. Pause. I'm going to pause again. (laughs) So um, this makes a lot of sense to me because I was the type of person who needed things outside of me to be okay and to be the way and okay to me was um, the way I wanted them to be. And then I would feel all right within myself in order for me to be okay. So in other words, I'm expecting the world and its people to change just so that I can feel better. Does that not highlight ego? Does that not highlight uh, the fact that I want to be king of the universe and also highlight at the same time how childish and infantile that ego is? I think that really highlights um, the disease in our mind quite brilliantly. Back to the article. Okay. Um, And instead, develop self-support, which is support by accepting reality and others as they are and actively seeking the kind of help we need when appropriate. Real simply means that it's not an idea, but has become a pattern of actions and behavior. Real maturity happens when we learn to act on our own behalf without manipulating others to support us or make us feel good about ourselves. Real maturity is achieved when our satisfaction is determined by how we are coping 
with what is happening in our lives. This is Lisa again talking outside of the article. I call that life on life's terms. Back to the article. It is about growing up and learning to respect and respond to our emotions without giving them privilege. A good example of this is courage. Courage is defined as doing something that frightens us. If we gave fear privilege, we would not do what frightened us. We would withdraw or freeze. Feelings are to be respected, but not given privilege. Wow, that is a powerful sentence. I think that sentence is very important today because it speaks to what I see going on in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, where we worry more about hurting people's feelings. You know, we let them talk and we let them sit in their self-pity and their suffering because we don't want to, you know, upset them by cutting them off or asking them to stick around and we'll talk to them one-on-one after the meeting um, because we're afraid they're going to run out the door. You know what? This is the last block on the house. I think we need to focus on being honest with people. Um, and not worry so much about their feelings because their feelings are what got them here. That's what got me here. And we are giving privilege to their fear when we allow them to sit in that pain. Um, What a great article this is. I don't know about you guys, but I'm loving it. Okay, back to the article. Bill W. also used the word balance in his definition. What kind of balance was Bill referring to? This is the person who wrote the article. I think he is talking about being emotionally balanced in our lives. Many of us can define our addiction as being addicted to more. Oh, I love that. I use that saying all the li- all the time. I call it, um, I have a disease of more. Um, I always want more out of life. Um, you know, I'm not always willing to work for it. I just expect more. <laughs> uh, again, highlighting the ego in my childish thinking. Back to the article. Bill articulated that our primary problem is that our natural instincts have become unbalanced. He elaborated on this notion when he said, never was there enough of what we thought we wanted. So I believe, oh, and that's taken from page 71 of the big book. So I believe that Bill used balance to refer to restraining our urge to seek ever more external sources of emotional solace. This means returning ourselves to a place where our emotions are in balance with other kinds of information in our lives. This might include information from our inner wisdom, the support of our fellows in AA and elsewhere, and our relationship with our higher power. That's amazing. I'm going to read that line again. This means returning ourselves to a place where our emotions are in balance, not not being given privilege to, not being allowed to control us or drive us or used as an excuse for our behavior, but in balance with the other kinds of information in our lives. And then he highlights this information might include uh, our inner wisdom, the support of our fellows in AA and elsewhere. So like a sponsor or people in AA who have more sobriety time than you do um, and our relationship with our higher power. This is our dilemma. Turning to a material solution for a spiritual problem, this will never work. No matter how much of more we get in our lives, at some point we will need to face the reality that we won't find our solution outside ourselves. 
The solution is within us. This means at some point in our recovery, we surrender our expectation that something or someone is going to come along to make us okay. Wow, that's a powerful line too. The solution lies within us. This means at some point in our recovery, we surrender our expectation. So when we talk about surrender, this is another thing you can think about. What are we asking you to surrender? We're asking you to surrender your old ideas, your old thinking, and your old expectations. And this is a perfect expectation that someone else is going to do the fucking work to make you better. Take responsibility. All right. Bill W. equated maturity and balance with humility when he said real maturity and balance, which is to say humility. That's fascinating, isn't it? What did he mean by humility in this context? Well, surrendering our expectations is where humility comes into emotional sobriety. The article continues, having humility means that we realize we are not that important. I don't mean this in a belittling or negative way. I mean that no one is here on earth to save us or make us happy. Humility tells us that no one is coming. No material object and no special person outside of us is going to make our lives better. Okay, I'm going to pause here for a sec. Do you hear that? Not your boyfriend, not your wife, not your partner, not your kid, not your kid's success on becoming a doctor or a lawyer. Um... (laughs) Not you winning the lottery, not you having the perfect hair or being thin or being the most beautiful person. That is not going to be important. That is not humility. No material object and no special person outside of us is going to make our lives better. To make our lives better, we must surrender our expectations and show up for ourselves. the um, thing that jumped out at me right here to make our lives better we must surrender our expectations and show up for ourselves reminds me of when I am working with a sponsee Um, sometimes I realize I want this program more than they do because I remember what it was like I remember where they are sitting in right now I know what it feels like and now I'm over here on the on the journey Um, I'm not at you know, perfect emotional sobriety. I don't have humility all the time, but I can tell you it's a thousand times better than it used to be. And I look forward to it continuing to improve and get better. And the only way it's going to do that is by me continuing to do the work. And that is why it's so essential for me to work with other people and stay in the center of AA because that keeps me focusing on doing the work myself because I can't give away what I don't have. Um, All right, back to the article. To get our lives unstuck, we must give up being passive and relinquish the belief that life should be generous or gracious or that some fairy godmother is going to come along and turn a pumpkin into a carriage for us. You know, it talks about this in the big book too, um, where our recovery, our sobriety, is not dependent upon other people. It's not dependent upon whether or not our marriage survives. It is not dependent upon my partner's behavior and whether or not they are, you know, kind and generous and empathetic. You know, I could be married to a mean SOB. Uh, My sobriety cannot be dependent on whether or not they change 
What I might find is I might not want to be with that person. I might realize, wow, I was settling uh, because I was used to abuse or I thought I deserved less. And maybe I am not in that relationship anymore. That's just one sort of scenario I can think about. Or, you know, you might be alone and thinking that if only I had a partner, life would be better. Well, (laughs) I once said to someone, be careful what you wish for, because now you have two people's expectations that you have to deal with, not just your own. So, (laughs) you know, it's just such an important um, understanding of the word humility that our getting well uh, must, we must understand that that does not rely on other people's behavior. Back to the article. Humility disarms our attempt to insist that people and circumstances conform to our demands or invisible, unforeseeable rules. I love that line. Invisible, unenforceable rules. Sorry. This will have a big impact on how we relate to other people. We have no business expecting others to live up to our expectations. When we demand that others live up to our expectations, we exclude them from the very relationship we're attempting to have with them. The relationship becomes all about what we want, what we expect, what will make our world right. Are you starting to see how humility, emotional maturity, and balance are connected? Why Bill W. carefully chose those three terms? Perhaps now you can see that humility is the antidote to the poison of emotional dependency. Or to state it another way, humility is the medicine that leads to emotional sobriety. We have to be humble in order to cast aside the childish belief that we're at the center of the universe and that other people should conform to our expectations. As Bill W. realized, we need to reorganize the way we think about ourselves the world around us, and others. We need to humbly surrender our expectations and become better aligned with reality by seeing people for who they are rather than as a source of approval or disapproval. I'll read that line again. We need to humbly surrender our expectations and become better aligned with reality by seeing people for who they are than as a source of approval or disapproval. It's Lisa talking again, not the article. I love that line, with reality. We need to become better aligned with reality because I can tell you that a lot of what happened to me happened in my head. It happened in my mind. People weren't treating me right in my mind because I had expectations. That's actually one of my character defects. I don't think I've ever seen it on a list. You know, you look at all these different lists you can find on the internet today or or sheets that uh, sponsors have given out over the years. And it wasn't until I worked with my most recent sponsor, Luke, um, that he helped me figure out that um, false expectations were one of my character defects. Um, we also had control freakism. You know, they're the same thing. It's ego. It's me trying to force other people to my will. Back to the article. How is surrender essential in accepting what is? Bill W. accepted that he needed to grow up. He accepted what he was doing that produced his immaturity. He accepted that he was emotionally reactive. I can relate to that. He accepted his basic flaw of dependency on people or circumstances for his security. 
I know, poor Lois, right? I can relate to that too. I was totally dependent on other people. Um, you know, I took a lot of hostages, not partners. I took a lot of people hostage in relationships. And it wasn't really a relationship, then was it? Back to the article. Bill W. also accepted the responsibility to grow up. He realized that he needed to surrender the hobbling idea that people should behave according to his perfectionist dreams and specifications. He needed to unhook people and things from his perfectionist specifications. Another way of saying this is that Bill needed to surrender his crippling expectations. Self-acceptance is grounded in humility. We realize that no one is here on earth to live up to our expectations. Neither are we here to live up to the expectations of others or to the expectations of our false self. You can hear uh, Miss Mabel barking in the background. Sorry about that. I'll continue with the article. We are free. Oh, isn't that good news? That's a good line. And I'm not even finished the sentence yet. We are free. That's what this program gives me. Freedom. I'll continue with the article. We are free to own who we are because we are no longer being controlled by false pride. When we accept ourselves, our life will no longer be dictated by should demands. We begin to experience true emotional freedom. Earlier I said that acceptance was one of the big ideas in recovery. There is a natural connection between self-acceptance, learning to accept our true self as we are, and learning to accept the world as it is. And the world as it is never fits our expectations. That's a tough lesson because a part of us always clings to the idea that the world will magically solve our problems. That is, a part of us refuses to grapple with reality. However, our wise self knows the world does not belong to us. It knows that our expectations do not fit reality. When we are not aligned with reality, we will experience internal conflict. We will be in a civil war with ourselves. We will try to control something that is not in our power to control. We cannot alter reality to meet our expectations, but this doesn't stop us from trying. We cannot negotiate with reality, but this doesn't stop us from negotiating. We cannot force reality to bend to our will, but this doesn't stop us from trying to force it. But at some point, reality forces our hand. We are forced into acceptance. That is powerful too. I cannot, I don't even need to comment. This is so in line with what I've come to know, what I've learned from being in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm just going to keep reading. Acceptance aligns us with the reality of the situation we are facing. When we are aligned with reality, we can discover new possibilities and paths. I cannot overcome a fear whose reality I deny. I cannot correct a problem in the way I deal with my associates if I will not admit it exists. Again, why the fourth and fifth steps are so essential to recovery. I cannot change traits. I insist I do not have. I cannot forgive myself for an action I will not acknowledge having taken. If we accept the situation we are in and we let the situation inform our actions, then we learn to cope with life. 
I'm going to read that again. If we accept the situation we are in, and we let the situation inform our actions, then we learn to cope with life. The serenity prayer is one of the most powerful tools in coping with the seemingly unfair events of life. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The prayer, which can easily be secularized, reminds us to differentiate between those very few things that we can control and the many things in life that we cannot. Among the few things we can control are these, our expectations, our shoulds. When we recognize and then surrender our shoulds, I call it shoulding on yourself. Stop shoulding on yourself. <laughs> when we recognize and then surrender our shoulds, we clear the way for acceptance. We clear the way for emotional sobriety. We can also create a different context around our shoulds. Many people have found success reframing the word unfair as unfortunate. In a sense, this is what the serenity prayer invites us to do. We cannot control unfortunate events. When we cling to the idea that our life should be fair, we set ourselves up to determine what is fair and what is unfair according to our own expectations, our own thoughts and feelings. When we reframe events as unfortunate, we release ourselves from the expectation that events should conform to our wishes. We can back into acceptance of the world. Surrender's role in living life on life's terms. The concept of living life on life's terms sounds so simple. That's because it is. But don't confuse simple with easy. Living life on life's terms takes a major and difficult shift in our consciousness. We have to surrender our expectations. All of our expectations. Simple concept. Arduous execution. Can anyone else relate to that fully and completely? I know I can. Our expectations are deeply woven into the fabric of our consciousness. Some of our expectations are obvious to us, and we can easily state them. We expect to be treated fairly. We expect others to be honest with us. We expect to gather on a holiday, and we expect that a contract will be honored. Other expectations are hidden and unconscious. They surface spontaneously when we hit a bump in life. We expect that our mate will automatically know and do what's best for us. We expect that our work colleagues will notice and appreciate our performance. We expect a fellow member in recovery to have empathy, and we expect a sponsor to make our time together a priority. And we expect that our holiday gathering will leave us with a sense of being loved and being part of something greater than ourselves. We expect life will unfold in a certain way. For most of us, letting go of our expectations, both the obvious and the hidden, will be the greatest challenge in our quest for emotional sobriety. Surrendering our expectations and living life on life's terms takes humility and the ability to, quote, roll with the punches, end quote. 
These two traits are necessary to achieve emotional sobriety. What makes these two traits important to emotional sobriety? The answer is important. Humility, as defined as the quality of being humble, characterized by a low focus on the self, an accurate, not over or under estimated sense of one's accomplishments and worth, and an acknowledgement of one's limitations, imperfections, mistakes, gaps in knowledge, and so on. That's a definition from the American Psychological Association in 2015. Humility creates an experience of being right-sized. The important part of this definition for our purposes here is that we have a low, a reduced and more realistic, not like less than, but more realistic focus on self and acknowledge our limitations, which means we surrender the idea that we have the right to impose our expectations on people, circumstances, or even on life itself. Having the flexibility to roll with the punches is also important in achieving emotional sobriety. We need to be able to adapt to the demands of whatever situation we are facing. If I am rigid, I am going to be unable to roll with the punches. That means that when I take a punch, I will complain about it and get caught up in my should demands. Life shouldn't be like this. People shouldn't act this way. People should just see it my way, etc. But when I let go of my expectations, I am not up against should demands or supposed tos. I can roll with the punches. The more flexible I can be, the better I can take care of myself. I can respond in a healthy way to whatever a situation demands from me, meaning in a way that keeps me balanced and whole. And that is the article from uh, The Grapevine, Surrender and Emotional Sobriety, 12 Essential Insights for Emotional Sobriety uh, from Dr. Alan Berger. I hope you've enjoyed that, um, and I hope you continue to dig deep so that you can have a better uh, sober life and freedom from those emotional hangovers that we can still suffer, uh, even though we've put down the drink. <laughs> I hate that, you know. I don't drink anymore, so I shouldn't have hangovers, but I can sure have an emotional hangover and feel icky if I'm not focusing on doing this work one day at a time, one step at a time. Thanks a lot for joining me on this long shot glass of recovery. I hope you found it beneficial. And if you want, I'd love to hear from you, as would Julie, either about a shot glass of recovery or um, something that we do together on Two Sober Chicks. If you have a topic suggestion or a question, or you want us to discuss something, or you're interested in being a guest on our show, then email us at the number two soberchicks at gmail.com. That's two sober chicks at gmail.com. I'm Lisa, and this has been a shot glass of recovery. Mm-hmm.